Praise the Lord. God bless all of you. It's so good to see everyone here in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Let's all stand. It's good to see Jason and Kisa with us again today. Amen. Are you here for a while yet? You're moving up here, right? Huh? (laughs) Okay, we can talk. (laughs) So good to see you, though. Amen. Uh, Let's all pray. God has a plan for this service. Uh, We want that to happen. I don't want my plans. I don't want your plans. I want God's plans. Amen. Because his plans are perfect. His plans are exactly what we need. Praise God. Let's call out to him tonight. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. We laud and we magnify you in this place tonight. We acknowledge once again that you are sovereign. You are sovereign in this and in every place. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is your church, and we are your people. I pray, Lord, from this point forward that you would assume control of this service, that all of your heart, all of your mind, your will would be manifest in our service here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for another opportunity to enter into the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are expecting awesome things of an awesome God tonight, that you would speak, that you would move, that you would minister according to our desperate need and according to your perfect will here tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your name would be magnified in this place, that it would be worshipped and glorified. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are our King, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here tonight and for all that you have in store for us. We give you glory. We give you honor. We worship you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that we will receive of you tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for your excellent loving kindness, your long-suffering patience to usward, your so great salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus, we worship you tonight. I am so thankful for all that you will give, all that you will do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to enter into your presence, to hear your voice, to feel your touch. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I don't say in Jesus' name. You guys just kind of trail off. (laughs) Is he done? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Our scripture text is going to be found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse, at verse 22. This is an interesting account to me <clears throat> for all kinds of reasons, many of which we won't be able to get into tonight. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 22, begins with this. This. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone, and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass, when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. 
We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have, and lived? Go now there, go now there, go thou near, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. He doesn't get tongue-tied. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words where, when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. And verse 29. Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Amen. I want to talk tonight about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We have, uh, I have mentioned many times uh, in passing, the deplorable state of our society when it comes to respect, when it comes to just common courtesy, uh, the casualness, the, uh, it just seems to be nobody cares about anything. Just, I go to Walmart, I don't, but people do. In their pajamas. <clears throat> and it's it's not only accepted, it's celebrated. When we were working at an office job, well, my wife still does. When I was working at an office job a long time ago now, uh, everybody was really looking forward to casual Friday. They'd pay money. They'd pay money to, to get the opportunity to dress down on Friday. And I could never understand that. I There is this attitude in the world today that, uh, well, let's just throw some examples out. It's not Pastor Becker, it's Pastor Rob. Call my parents by my first name. I'll come into any establishment, and the words on my shirt are X-rated. The conversation that I hear at the store, at the restaurant, is a bunch of vulgarity. And there's no shame in that. It's just the way it is. I have mentioned this attitude and uh, warned against it in our approach to God, our approach to spiritual matters. And I want to expand on that a little bit tonight, expound on that. It applies also to our relationship with one another. It applies also to myself, how I speak to myself, how I think of myself. 
back in the day, there were rules of etiquette, certainly for high society. Uh, the Victorian era, particularly, and I looked some of these up. And it was it. What was immediately interesting to me was some of the uh, some of the the links were titled like ten ridiculous rules of etiquette, ten ludicrous rules of etiquette, and. Most of these articles were mocking them. And if you read them, yeah, they sound pretty strange today. We're going to go through just a few for an example, but they sound pretty strange today. But you know what? I wouldn't mind going back to those days. I really wouldn't. Oh, it was so stifling and you had to do this and couldn't do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. That sounds pretty good to me. There were general rules. There were rules for uh, teas and receptions, rules for dinner parties, rules for meeting people on the street, rules for exchanging calling cards, rules for meeting people at the theater, your conduct at the theater, rules for shopping, rules in church. Rules on calling on someone. Rules on mourning. Rules on traveling. I found some general rules of etiquette. Tell me if these sound vaguely familiar to you. Learn to govern yourself and to be gentle and patient. Never speak or act in anger. Remember, these are, these are societal rules that we're talking about. But where do they come from? Remember that valuable as the gift of speech is, silence is often more valuable. Learn to speak in a gentle tone of voice. Learn to say kind and pleasant things when opportunity offers. Do not neglect little things if they can affect the comfort of others. Learn to deny yourself and prefer others. Beware of meddlers and tail bearers. These are just general rules. That sounds a lot like the Bible to me. So, that sounds pretty good so far. I found these uh, excerpts from uh, Rules of Etiquette. It's, it's a book by Thomas E. Hill, Manual of Social and Business Forms, first published in 1875. Bowing. And I quote, A gentleman should not bow from a window to a lady on the street, though he may bow slightly from the street upon being recognized by a lady in a window. Such recognition should, however, generally be avoided, as gossip is likely to attach undue importance to it when seen by others. That should go without saying, right? Dignity. To greet someone by saying, Hello, old fellow, indicates ill-breeding. If you are approached in this vulgar manner, it is better to give a civil reply and address the person respectfully, in which case he is quite likely to be ashamed of his own conduct. How do people greet each other today? Street etiquette. When crossing the pavement, a lady should raise her dress with the right hand, a little about the ankle, 
To raise the dress with both hands is vulgar and can only be excused when the mud is very deep. They sound silly today, don't they? How do our ladies dress today? Gift giving. There are only four items a lady could accept from a gentleman without causing a stir. Books, confectionery, flowers, or seat music. The flowers and food were perishable, so they left no obligation upon the lady receiving them. The other two stimulate the mind and good thinking, keeping her mind off of men. Amen. Fast forward to today. Today there is no respect for one another at all. I would probably add no respect for ourselves either. You can't speak the way that you do, they do, and dress the way that they dress and respect yourself. Anybody look at YouTube videos? I do. I mean, there's there's a wealth of information there. You use it selectively. (coughs) Sometimes it's fun to look at the comments section. Sometimes it makes you want to throw up because of the way people talk to each other. Social media posts. I've been off of social media for years for this is one of the reasons. (coughs) Other than it makes me feel like I'm worthless and... Uh, I don't have the fun, awesome life that you guys have. Uh, So, nah, no thanks. But social media posts. I've heard uh, my relatives, my wife's relatives, going back and forth on some dumb issue. But the way they go about it is a stream of vulgarities. talked about the way people dress, the casual attitude toward others and toward themselves, people screaming at each other, cursing out each other, fighting each other over nothing, over nothing. It was, I, I'm not that old, and I remember a time where you could sit down with someone who didn't think the way you do and have a polite conversation. I remember that. You can't do that anymore. If you're not for me, you're against me. And that's it. There's no discussion. Draw swords. Draw pistols. How did this happen? Why did this happen? People have no respect for authority. They don't follow rules or regulations unless they think that they have a good chance of getting caught. How many people go the speed? Don't raise your hand. How many people slow down when they see a cop? No respect for the law. I'll 
obey the law when the police officers are around. Now, when I was growing up, I had a mom and a dad. I loved my dad. In fact, I remember having a dream about him one time that he had died. And I was, I was definitely, I woke up bawling. I was younger, 23. <laughs> no. But I loved my dad. But, tell you what, I didn't disrespect him. I did what he said. Because I was also afraid of my dad. Afraid to do wrong. Afraid to disobey him. As long as I was following the rules, I was doing what he wanted. Hey, Dad, what's up? But if I knew I'd done something wrong, I wanted nothing to do with Dad. I was hiding somewhere. I had 40 acres. And I knew that 40 acres like the back of my hand. I was younger than my dad. And my dad was tired because he worked on the railroad all the time. He didn't want to go looking for me. But yeah, eventually it got to be supper time. Then I had to make a decision. I get yelled at and eat. Or I get yelled at later more and don't eat. I ate. But, uh, but I had those two... Almost a dichotomy. I loved my dad. But I didn't want to cross him. I also feared my dad. And those two things, love and fear, they kept me out of trouble, they kept me safe, and they kept me protected. And they kept my relationship with my dad as good as it was. That's all but gone today. Children believe they have equal authority with their parents. Employees believe they have equal authority with their boss. Respect for law enforcement is at an all-time low. Now some of these, granted, could be self-inflicted. Respect for government officials, especially true here, is at an all-time low. Respect for authority, love for one another have all but disappeared in our society. Why? I'll tell you why. People don't follow rules and laws. People have no fear of authority because they have no fear of God. Where does right and wrong come from? Where do the concepts of good and evil come from? They come from God. God tells us what is right. And he tells us what is wrong. Period. Well, I don't think that that's really the case anymore. Well, I think that that's, that was true then, maybe, but not now. Well, I think, I think, well, hey, hey what does God think? What, is, what does God think? I appreciate the fact that you're smart and intelligent and you got your opinion. I could discuss opinions all day long. That's all it is. It's an opinion. When someone tells me what they think is right and wrong, all I have to say is, well, do you have the authority to enforce that? On the whole world, obviously the answer is no. 
Well, if you do that and the police come and, and arrest you, who's right? And how are you going to enforce it then? Well, I think it's okay to kill someone if they have something I want. Okay, fair enough. You have that opinion. Good luck actually working with that. Because other people have other opinions and they have more authority. And they have more power to enforce that. God has the ultimate authority. He has all power. His will is enforced. His ideas of right and wrong, they're burned into us. Corrupt as they may be. But we are made in the image and likeness of God. Everybody is. That's why everybody knows there's a right and wrong. Even though their worldview cannot account for right and wrong, they know inherently that there is. Because they're corrupted by sin, their ideas of what's right and what's wrong are weird. But the concept itself is ingrained in every one of us. Because that image is still there. It's still there. The fear of God is what enforces that. If I fear God, I'm going to do what he says. Now, we know, it's been said many times here, that the fear of God is not being afraid of God. The Lexham Bible Dictionary says this, The fear of the Lord motive occurs in three distinct ways in the Old Testament. One, as an expression of corporate Israelite religion, the religious system of worshiping Yahweh. Occurrences of the phrase fear of the Lord in the general sense of religious piety mostly appear in wisdom texts, Psalms, Proverbs, etc. In this sense, fear of the Lord is an essential component of Israel's theology. It essentially means faith in Yahweh. Two, as a description of personal piety, the act of worshiping and obeying Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 5.29, God declares to Moses his desire that the people would fear him enough that they would obey his commandments. Fear can be expressed as positive, obedience caused by reverence for Yahweh, and or in the negative, obedience caused by the threat of divine punishment. In other words, I either want to please him because I love him, or I'm afraid of judgment, so I'm going to obey him. The carrot and the stick, if you will. We have both here. Three, as an identification of a religious person, i.e. a worshiper of Yahweh, Joseph, for example, identifies himself as a God-fearer when he is reunited with his brothers. Jonah similarly identifies himself as a God-fearer when he is questioned by the sailors. I fear God. Amen. Some examples. Leviticus 19.32 states this. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Kind of lumped those two things together, didn't they? Why should I raise up before the hoary head? Why should I give honor to my elder? Because I fear the Lord. Because I fear God. We are to honor, respect, reverence our elders. Why? Because we fear God. God commands it. 
It pleases him. Now also, elders should demonstrate love and patience toward the younger and seek their welfare. There is a rift in our society, generationally. Uh, I've noticed that just speaking to my children. Old people don't understand us. And that may be true. I certainly don't understand some things. I'll admit that. And they don't understand where we're coming from. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get together and hash things out? And since we're on the topic, who do you think should initiate that? The child or the elder? The elder should, right? They should speak. Length of years should teach wisdom. And the child should learn to sit and listen. And I say that having practiced that. When my grandpa and my grandma would come over when they were still living, I loved listening to them talk about the days during World War II, their jobs. They welded something in Milwaukee, ships or something. Talked about the the food ration stamps and how they would make butter and all I mean all all this cool stuff. I would just sit there. I would I could have sat there for hours and listened to, to them talk. Them growing up. My great grandma, she grew up in a log home, log cabin. Native Americans would come up to their door and, and get bread. I loved listening to that stuff. And uh But I think more and more, people aren't interested in listening. I got my stuff. I want to tell you. Let's practice listening. Elder, listen to the younger person. Younger person, I'd encourage you, listen to the elder. Let's try to understand. The elder, the elder has a lot of life experience. The elder has been where you haven't been yet. I always, I learned this a long time. I learned this very early watching my brother. My brother, he just crashes through stuff. And if it didn't work, I'll just try it harder next time. I'm going to get through this thing. I'm going to bust through this brick wall. And I would observe him I'm like, hmm, nope, that's what I'm not going to do. I learned a long time ago to, to pay attention to other people's mistakes and learn from them. The elder has a lot to teach. The older I get, the, the, the more I feel that. I feel a certain sense of responsibility to pass what I've learned on. I think that's a good thing. I think the Bible teaches that. I don't want to hoard it to myself and just, ah, stupid kids. Nobody listens to us anymore. Uh, You can go about doing that. 
spending way too much time on this. So fun to talk about. But let's talk. Elder, younger, let's talk. Let's get together. Let's learn from each other. Amen. Proverbs 16.6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Isn't that interesting? Again, for two reasons. I love God, and I want to do what pleases Him. And I'm afraid to upset Him. I'm afraid to do things that are disobedient to Him. Nothing wrong with either one of them. Easton's Bible Dictionary includes this. A holy fear is enjoined also in the New Testament as a preventative of carelessness in religion and as an incentive to penitence. That carelessness in religion caught my eye. Again, that casual spirit, that casual attitude, I don't want to see it in God's church. I think there needs to be a a, a level of decorum in the body of Christ. I do. You can call me old-fashioned, but but I think there needs to be a level of reverence and respect in the house of God, particularly because God is present here, and not just this place. Anywhere where the presence of God is, anywhere where the people of God are gathered together, that, in my mind, is the house of God, the congregation of the people of God. And there needs to be decorum. There needs to be a reverence and a respect in that place. Because God is there. The King of Kings is there. Second Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I perfect holiness in the fear of God. Because it pleases Him. It is a commandment, be ye holy, for I am holy. But it also pleases Him. And why wouldn't I want to do something that pleases Him? Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Having problems submitting yourself... Check your fear of God. When you fear God, when you love God, and you reverence Him, and you respect Him, you'll have no problem with these things. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Again, We need to have a fear of God. We need to love Him. We need to be afraid to disobey Him. When I disobey God, there should be a little bit of fear and trembling there. I I think so. I should be afraid to do wrong. We cannot let this spirit of casualness this lack of fear, this lack of reverence come upon us in our dealings with each other. Now, here's the part. 
where I get to make everybody upset with me. 100%. This will be fun. This includes husband and wife. 2 Samuel 23 and 3 says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Husbands, let's start with us. We're the head of the household, right? The Bible teaches that, whether we want it or not. Some don't. But whether we want it or not, men, that's our lot. God has delegated to us the position of head of household, priest of the home. Amen. So, how do we do that? How do we do that biblically? We do it in the fear of God, knowing that we also are under authority. And that's the key. I am also under authority. If I have no authority in my life, and I want people to do what I say, it just doesn't work like that. I've given this example before. When I was in the Army, I was a high and mighty buck sergeant. Oh, yeah. I had people under me. They had to do what I said. But only because I was a part of their chain of command. And that means... That I had people over me. Once I got out of the army, I didn't have those people over me anymore. But what else happened? Now, these people here, they didn't have to do what I said anymore. I was out from under authority, but I also lost my authority. When I put, when I placed myself under authority, there, we could talk on this for days, but... So many good reasons to be under authority. But if you want to rule, men, and you should, that's, that's the position God gave you. Do it in the fear of God. The fear of God. Knowing that I also am under authority. If you're not under authority, you can't rule. Not biblically. Amen. All right. Ladies, wives, have you ever heard the phrase, a happy wife is a happy life? Well, you know what? I looked for that in the Bible. <clears throat> I couldn't find it. It's possible. It's possible. I'm using, I'm using the translation the Apostle Paul used. The King James Version. <laughs> That's what Paul used. That's what someone have you believe, I think. <laughs> but anyway... Um, that's, not, that's not in there, folks. In fact... In fact... That's borderline dangerous. And here's why. You're giving the wife the power to rule the household. If she doesn't get her way, she's going to make your life miserable. 
She's going to make everybody miserable. Is that right? Is that the way things ought to be run? There's another spirit in this world today. Uh, the, the whole feminist movement. Like I said, I'm just, I'm just going to go all in here. The feminist movement is destroying women. It really is. And here's why. Because they're teaching ladies from the very earliest of age, be strong and independent. You don't need men. You can do everything a man can do and better. Well, let's just say for a moment that that's true. You don't know men very well at all. No man wants anything to do with that. They don't. I don't. Men want to be needed. Men want to be the protector, the provider. I want to come along and open that stuck jar of pickles. I like that. Honey, can you open this jar? You bet I can. I'll do that all day long. I like that. That's right. Excellent point. I was going to mention that and I forgot. There was a time, this is a good place to put it anyway, there was a time when men would open the car doors for women. They'd open the door. They would pay, the men would pay for the meal. Women still want all of that. Well, they don't want the car door. They don't. I promise you there are people that don't because I've been yelled at. I've been yelled at for opening a, holding a door. <clears throat> no. She yelled at me for other reasons. <laughs> not the, not the door. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I did. <laughs> Come on, let me finish here. We only got 20 minutes. Um, the car door. Women used to want that. Ladies still do. People, ladies that uh, they respect the the distinction of roles. Okay. These roles are not greater and lesser. They're different. That's it. They're different. But they're equal. I mean, they're, they're both important. But when the woman wants to do all of it, generally speaking, we're going to let you. But we're going to be over here doing our thing then. And if you're married to someone, ladies, and you're acting like that, I promise you, explicitly or implicitly, your man's going to check out. He's going to. Because there's nothing for me to do. I don't have time to 
really make a, a good thing out of that, but respect. Ladies, you want your husbands to love you? Respect them. Men, you want your wives to respect you? Love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. We do these things because we fear God. I love my wife because I fear God. My wife loves me because she fears God. In our consideration of ourselves, we are created in the image of God. We're not sludge. We're not evolved pond scum. I'm not a monkey. I'm not an animal. I'm a human being created in the image of God. And when I begin to consider who I am, I should also consider that I'm worthy of at least self-respect. Does that make sense? The way I dress, the way I conduct myself, the way I speak to myself, should show myself a level of respect simply because I am God's child. I'm created in His image. And it certainly should have input into my relationship with God. When that spirit gets on me, that spirit of casualness, I can take it or leave it. When something goes wrong, I'll come storming into his room and let him have it. People do that. And again, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with this, well, you just need to forgive God. I know what they're saying. Why would I need to forgive God? What would I need to forgive God for? Dying for me? Providing all my needs? And again, I understand what people are saying when they say that. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. God doesn't do anything evil. Everything that he does for me is good. Now I can perceive it as evil. I'm in the middle of the storm. Things are going wrong. My loved one died. They're in the hospital. I'm in the hospital. I can perceive that as being bad, evil. And you just need to forgive God. Because God did that to you. Right? That's, what, that's the implicit meaning behind that. That's God's fault. You just need to forgive Him. That's not God's fault. God didn't put me in the hospital. Do you think that's His will? I don't. I think God allows things to happen, obviously, but I don't think that's his explicit will. I think when it does happen, because of the sin curse, because of choices other people make, drunk driver comes and T-bones me, I don't think that was God's perfect plan. 
but God can make something good happen out of that. Because all things work together for good to them who love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. But there's nothing to forgive God about. God has done nothing but good for me. Nothing but good. And if I look back over my life, over our life, we could probably find some nitpicky things. Yeah, God did this and God was responsible for that. We could justify that. So could you. But we're all still here. Why? I don't subscribe to that, folks. I don't subscribe to the, the idea that I need to forgive God. I have, a, I have a very real problem with that. God forgave me. God continues to forgive me. God doesn't sin. There's nothing that God needs to be forgiven over. Amen. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's my position. Signs of a Christian who has lost their fear of God. There are probably more, but these are some that came to mind. Argumentative. They're always right and they're very vocal about it. They're going to let you know that you're wrong, why you're wrong, and why they're right. Now, could they be right? Yeah, they could be right. But again... Respect, love, decorum. There's a time and a place to mention things. There's a time and a place to to conduct yourself with these affairs. They will not submit to authority. Again, since we're on authority, there is a difference between submission and agreement. We all understand that, right? Because I agree with my authority, that's not submission. That's agreement. Submission is when I disagree with my authority and do it anyway. That's submission. They're also not afraid to disobey or break rules. Why? Because they have no fear of God. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, Now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? I think this sums it up beautifully, the fear of God. God requires of his people that we love him, reverence him, and serve him with our whole being. All of us needs to be committed to service to the king. Psalm 25:14 says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. God will speak to those that fear him. Reveal truth to them. Establish his covenant with them. Psalm 34:7 says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Protection and deliverance await those that fear God. Psalm 34:11 says, "Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord." Guess what? You can learn how to fear God. And equally important, 
Your fear of God can be transmitted to others. It can be taught. We can learn it. That indicates to me that, at least partially, this isn't just a a supernatural snapping of God's fingers and I fear God. There's a spiritual process here, but it involves me. It involves me making a choice to fear God. That free moral agency just gets more and more powerful. Amen. Psalm 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children. God's mercies are reserved for those who fear the Lord. Psalm 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. If you're praying for wisdom and are struggling with that, Maybe check to see if you fear God. If you're struggling to grow your knowledge of God, make sure you fear God first. That's the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge is to fear God. That's our starting point, folks. That's where we start. And we grow from there. We increase knowledge and wisdom from there. But we've got to start with the fear of God. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. To reverence and to love God is to love the things He loves and hate the things that He hates. Amen. Do we love everything that God loves? Do we hate everything that God hates? If not, well, we're on our way to Christ-likeness, aren't we? Maybe a little bit more tomorrow. Our speech as well as our character should always reflect God's character. We are called to represent Jesus Christ to this world. Amen. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer every man. Our words especially, our words particularly, need to be reflective of who we serve, representative of Jesus Christ. We cannot afford, folks, we cannot afford to mess up with our speech, with our words. Because we can't ever bring them back in. Once they're out, they're out. It's like sending that text or that email. I know there's certain things that you can go back in and delete it, I think, but not mine. Once I send mine, it's 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 too late. Could you delete that text? Don't look at it. Just delete it. That might work. They're not going to, though. They're going to look at it. (laughs) They're definitely going to look at it now. Our words are, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words are powerful. There's power in the spoken word. The Bible talks about that all through. Jesus spoke things into existence. 
when we speak as children of God, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's power in that. So choose your words carefully. Walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Choose your words carefully, because they are so powerful. They can heal, and they can destroy. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. I believe those who reverence and serve God have more days generally overall. I believe that. But each of those days is going to be significantly better. Quality as well as quantity. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. I think each day is going to be more blessed in addition to the amount. Proverbs 14.26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Having a respect toward God's commandments brings faith that he hears my cry. When, I'm, when I know that I'm obeying him, I don't, I don't know if it should work this way, because then you're in danger of this becoming a workspace thing. But, I'll be honest with you, when I know I'm right with God, I'm a little bit bolder. I'm a little bit more confident. I am. I don't think that's all bad. Having a respect toward God's commandments brings faith that he hears my cry. Possessing the fear of the Lord puts me in a place of safety and protection. Examples of people with no fear of the Lord. If you, if you read Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. How were they able to do that? Did they know who Moses was? Yes, they did. They knew exactly who Moses was. Aaron particularly, because he was there. He was there when God called Moses, well, toward the end. Numbers 13 and 14, the spies brought back an evil report, convincing the people to rebel against the commandment of the Lord and not enter the promised land, trying to convince them to return to Egypt. And then afterward, they were disobedient again. We're sorry. We're ready to go in now. When God specifically told them, no. say it what uh what what does your mind have to be to be this far gone to be this i don't know another word to say it to, to be this spiritually dense in the scripture text they were they were rightly saying what people have heard the voice of the Lord and lived? That was a true statement, folks. And that was, that was an awesome thing. They heard the voice of the living God. And they lived. But there was no fear of God. They were never afraid of God. They didn't love God. And they weren't afraid to disobey God. Their entire history is replete with example after example 
of this exact condition. Absolutely no fear of God. Number 16, the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You take too much on yourself, Moses. God speaks with us, too. There are Christians like that. There are people in our churches like that. Hey, God speaks to me, too, pastor. God speaks with me, too, bishop. And he's telling me something different. Well, who is God's authority resting on? Because, folks, like Moses said, I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about anybody in authority. When we come up against authority, we rebel against authority, me, you, anyone. Who are we we rebelling against? God. It's God's authority that we're coming up against. Men have no authority in and of themselves. You don't. I don't. No one does. Only God has authority inherently. It's all his. And he delegates it to whomsoever he will. It's his authority. He can give it to you and he can pull it back again. Should the Lord tarry? Eventually, I'm going to die, and somebody else is going to assume the pastorate here. Or he'll call me somewhere else. His authority will come off of me and onto someone else. Right? You respect the authority of God. You submit yourself to God's authority. With the fear of the Lord. Acts 10, 1 through 4 says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Verse 2, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Because he feared God, because he was obedient to God in everything that he knew, he loved God. God chose him. God chose his family to usher the Gentiles into his church. Like Brother DeMuth said, aren't you thankful that God ushered the Gentiles into his church? Grafted us in. I'm thankful. I'm not a Jew, not naturally. Acts 2, 42 and 43 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. The fear of God brings the power of God. When we love God and obey His commandments, God's power and His authority are manifest in our lives. But again, we must submit ourselves to authority before we can be in authority. If you would lead, you must first learn to follow. Follow well. That's not a lesser position, folks. You're being equipped to lead. You're in training. Follow well. Those that you submit to, make them look awesome. 
Someone told me that a long time ago. Your job is to make him look awesome. Okay. That sounds great. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Colossians 3.22 Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. We can only truly submit ourselves when we fear God. Because again, it's God that we're submitting to. Not people. The fear of the Lord, and this helps with everything, folks. At my workplace, I got a dumb boss. I don't have a dumb boss. I, I have great people that I work with. But I've had bosses that I disagreed with their leadership style. So have you. But as a Christian, it's, it's okay. It's fine. I'm not working for him. I'm working for God. I serve God. If he has authority over me, that's God's authority. I'm going to submit myself to that. I'm going to do everything I can to serve him and to make him look awesome. Because that pleases God. I work for God. I fear God. Amen. I can only truly submit myself to God's authority when I fear God. The fear of the Lord affects our interactions with each other, with myself, and with God. I will treat you with love and respect as I want to be treated because I love God and I desire to please Him. Amen. I love you because I've received the love of God. I love God because He first loved me. I'll treat myself differently and with respect because I know that I'm made in the image of God and He desires me to reflect Him to this world. And because I see myself in that light, that's going to affect the way that I dress. That's going to affect how I speak. That's going to affect how I act toward myself and toward others. How many people, you make them say, oh, you dummy. Oh, that was stupid. I still catch myself doing that every once in a while. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy wants you to do. You're not stupid. You're human. You made a mistake. You dropped a glass of milk. You're going to do it again. Clean it up. Praise God. And move on. Could have been worse. Could have been two glasses of milk. Amen. I will approach God differently, not casually or profanely, but reverently, lovingly, seeking to please Him in all that I do, say, and think. Amen. We need to fear God. We need, a, we need a reverent fear of the Lord. We need a revival of it. Not only in the world, but in our churches. Amen. Fear God, folks. Praise God. Let's all stand. Jesus, we worship you. We are so thankful for you, for your so great salvation. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that we do have a fear of God in this place that we reverence you, that we love and respect you, and that we are afraid to do wrong. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for both of those things. I want to be right with you. I want to be saved. I want that protection of being under your authority. I want those bounds in my life 
the commandments of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray a blessing upon your people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, that we would walk with you, continue to be with you uh, this week. Bring us back to your place at the day appointed. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.